Welcome to this week's edition of Holy Apostles Weekly Sermons. Delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, 
being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. <clears throat> and it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it therefore in your hearts not to meditate before what ye shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. And ye shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolk and friends and some of you they shall cause to be put to death and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake but there shall not a hair of your head perish in your patience possess ye your souls Concerning this woman of Canaan, who shows us some very important things, specifically how it is that we ought to approach Christ. And the answer is that we approach Christ through perseverance and through humility, which is precisely the example that she gives us. This uh, event takes place in a certain context. Because the woman of Canaan was a Gentile woman, not one of the Hebrew women. But the context is a larger event which is taking place in which Christ is challenged by the Pharisees and the scribes from Jerusalem. And they accuse him of breaking the law by, because his disciples eat because, with their hands not being washed first. And he turns the issue around on them and says, well, why do you transgress the law? And he begins to challenge them on what were customary practices of the time, which were in direct violation of the law of Moses. And he summarizes it by calling them hypocrites. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, this people draws near to me with their mouth and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain, in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And then after he says this, the disciples come to him and they say, Don't you realize that the Pharisees were offended because you said that? And he goes on to expound to his disciples, Every plant which my father has not planted shall be torn up and thrown out. Why does the Lord say these things? Does he delight in conflict? Does he, does he really enjoy provoking the Pharisees? Is he trying to invite his crucifixion? He says these things because he is trying to provoke them to repentance. 
The hope is always that they will understand the truth of what he is saying and they will amend their ways. And when they refuse to do that, as you and I so often also refuse to do, the other option is to become offended. Think about it. If someone says to you something corrective, even if it's said gently and meekly, our immediate response is not, oh, you know what, he might have a point. Our immediate response is, how dare he say that to me? This is part of the fallen human condition in which we immediately leap to defend our ego rather than to look at the justice of what someone else has said. And this is precisely the response of the Pharisees. Rather than saying, you know what, he might have a point here, their response is immediately, how dare he? And they become offended. And so Christ, knowing that rather than embracing the call to repentance, they rather became offended, he departs. So as not to continue to provoke them. And he departs and goes into, into the regions around Tyre and Sidon, which were Gentile cities. So he leaves the Jewish territory altogether and goes into the Gentile territories for the sake of not continuing to provoke them. And it's in this context that this woman, this Gentile Canaanite woman, comes to him with faith and cries out to him, Have mercy on me, Lord. And she calls him the Messianic title that we talked about last week, Son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. And the Lord responds to her in a very peculiar fashion for two reasons. First of all, to shut the mouths of those who accuse him of violating the Jewish law and going and preaching to the Gentiles. And secondly, to show to us the profound, persevering faith of this woman. So his initial response to her is not to say anything, to ignore her. She continues to cry out. And so the disciples, they come and they say, send her away because she's crying after us. And this they say by way of intercession, right? They're not saying, get rid of her. They're saying, do what she asks for. She just follows and she won't stop. This is the action of someone who is in intense emotional, psychological pain, right? Following after, there's no other hope. Here's this Jesus. He can do something. He won't speak to me. Nevertheless, I will continue calling after him. And when the disciples come and intercede for the woman, he responds to them, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So again, to shut the mouths of those who might accuse him of having fellowship with the Gentiles or violating the Jewish law in some way. But she, whenever she sees that he gives this kind of response to his disciples, becomes more encouraged. And she approaches him directly and falls down at his feet, which is what the word worship means in this context, falls down to the ground and he, she says to him, Lord, help me. Now, wouldn't your heart break, right? This woman in this condition, think about it. Put yourself in this position. If you have the ability, if you, if you can help someone, and she, here she comes and she lays herself on the ground at your feet and says, please help me. Would you not be moved to compassion? And yet the Lord responds, it is not proper 
to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. Which sounds like a terrible thing to say, doesn't it? Can you imagine yourself saying this to someone? But again, the Lord does all things for a purpose. He doesn't say this to just anyone. He says it to this woman. Why? Because her faith is already profound. And it is necessary that it be revealed to His disciples, first of all, and then to you and to me. Because having responded in this way to her, it is not proper to cast the children's bread to the dogs. She responds without despair, without being offended like the Pharisees and scribes. She says, you are correct. That is true. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off of their master's table. Now this is not just an expression of humility, it's an expression of profound faith, right? Because what's she asking for? She's asking for him to cast this demon out of her daughter, which she then describes as a crumb, a tiny, minuscule, uh, insignificant thing, right? What do we do with crumbs? We don't eat them, we sweep them off. And in those days, the crumbs were swept off the table and the, and the dogs got to clean the floor, right? And some of us still do that. <laughs> but that was what crumbs were good for. They weren't food for the children. And she identifies this insignificant little thing with the power of God. So much so that the casting out of a demon is as this small and insignificant thing. <coughs> She expresses in that one statement her profound humility and her profound faith. And it is for this reason that Christ then seemingly changes his attitude towards her, but in fact reveals his genuine attitude towards her. Having revealed her faith and having revealed her profound humility, says to her, Woman, great is thy faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. So as I said, this woman provides a tremendous example for you and for me. The example of humility and perseverance as the means to approach Christ. This is in fact the only way to approach Christ. And we might even wrap those two concepts of humility and perseverance together into the one concept of repentance. Repentance is the only means to approach God. So it is something that the church appoints for us to practice every day. Perseverance and humility. The perseverance is perhaps easier to recognize. Right? Because what does the church ask us to do every day? Get up in the morning and pray. Pray before you go to bed. That's an exercise in perseverance. That is the practice of persevering in calling on God. Like this woman who followed after Christ, calling after Him repeatedly, please have mercy on me, please help me. You and I get up every morning and we say to Christ, please have mercy on me, please help me. And having gone through the day, we get to the end of our day and before we lay down in bed, we say to the Lord, please have mercy on me, please help me. Persevering like this woman. But also, secondly, the practice of humility. Which is perhaps not for us something quite so easy to see. 
But I'm going to suggest, I think, some easy things we can do to exercise ourselves in humility. The first one sounds easy because it involves doing nothing, but you'd be surprised at how difficult it is. And that is to keep our mouths shut and not to say everything that we think we ought to say. That's an exercise in humility. <coughs> and you won't realize that until you do it. Whenever somebody is saying something and you think, I have something to contribute here, and instead you exercise discipline and you keep your mouth shut, what happens? The heart rises up. Oh, but I have really something good to say here. Or, that's so wrong, I've got to correct them. It could be our husbands, it could be our wives, it could be co-workers, it could be fellow students at school, whatever the case may be. But in our pride, we rise up and think, either we have something to add that no one else has thought of before, or we have some kind of correction which will be so profound that this person will immediately respond, not by being offended, but by accepting my rebuke and repenting, right? Like we're Jesus. And so the exercise of humility requires us to keep our mouths closed and to listen to the other person and to have patience. Secondly, I would say in order to, that's something we can do every day to exercise ourselves in humility is that we can begin to make a genuine effort to prefer the needs and desires of those around us to our own. Now, in a family setting, I won't say it becomes easier, but I will say that we have lots more opportunities. If you have wife, husband, children. But even if that's not the case, you have to interact with other people all the time, every day. You could be at work, you could be at school, you could be <coughs> shopping for groceries, whatever the case may be. With the one caveat that it does not require us to sin, we should make it a daily discipline to look at the needs and the desires of those around us and to strive to fulfill those prior to fulfilling our own. And in this way, we will inadvertently, maybe, end up following the very footsteps of Christ Himself. So my brothers and sisters, I suggest these few tiny things to you as a means by which we may begin to exert ourselves seriously to seek Christ in our lives, to seek to follow Him, to seek to understand His will, and to seek to put it into practice. May Christ strengthen each and every one of you in your ongoing spiritual disciplines, and may He grant us all His heavenly kingdom. Amen. Amen. Christ is in our midst. Yes.